0: Hey, listeners of compliments to the chef thank you so much for tuning in we are so excited for you all to listen to our conversation about restaurant wars a bit of a heads up we did get a little carried away and this one runs a little long so in order to respect everyone's time we're going to skip leftovers this week and you'll hear all the leftovers in next week's episode so without further ado let's just dive straight into the action Welcome back to Season 6, Episode 9 of Compliments to the Chef. We are very excited today because it is our favorite episode, Restaurant Wars.
1: Oh, I love Restaurant Wars. Okay, but we
0: are even more excited because we have a special guest joining us today who is, I think, one of the coolest people on the planet Earth. Not not to, like, overhype things, but I do believe this to be true. Um, And without further ado, might I introduce... Kendra Bakulin to the pod. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. Honestly, thank you for having us in your life. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited. Um, for those listening at home who don't know, Kendra is a food editor at Bon Appetit Magazine. And you've definitely cooked her delicious, garlicky, velvety recipes, but you have <laughs> also probably seen her on uh, the Bon Appetit Instagram account. She does fabulous content in the Test Kitchen. My personal favorite are a party saltine cracker that I now make frequently.
2: Wow, I love that and you love that.
0: It's Yum. a great recipe with all the zatar, zatar, zatar. How do you a lot of it? zatar in there. Yes, that's true. It's delicious. But yes, yeah, so we're so excited and. Kendra is not only in her day job a food professional, in her night job, side hustle, I don't know what what we want to call it, but she is also the founder of Dining Room, which is a fabulous dinner series that I will let her talk about more. But all to say, Kendra is knows the ins and the outs of the food industry. She is incredibly talented, and she is uniquely qualified to be talking about restaurant wars. So welcome, wow. Kendra.
2: Can I pay you to gas me up
0: every day? <laughs> I <feel> Happily. Like... <laughs> I will leave you voice memos. I will leave you FaceTime voicemails, wow. whatever you want. This is, the, this is the boost to my
2: confidence that I didn't know I needed.
0: We want to just first start by asking you a few questions about yes. yourself so our listeners can get to know you, and then we'll move on to the episode. Great. All right. So even though I just sort of, you know, stole the punchline, can you tell us what you do for a living in your own words? Yes.
2: I am a food editor at Bon Appetit, which means that I develop the recipes that go in the magazine and online. Um, Either I am making those recipes up from my brain Or I am working with a contributor and that's like a restaurant chef or a cookbook author or a food personality to translate their work to fit the home cook. A lot of times restaurant chefs will come, you know, it's even been a challenge on Top Chef before where they have to write a recipe down and someone else has to create it and it goes horribly awry because restaurant chefs often are bad at making their recipes replicable by another person. Um, And so that's my job to sort of take all of their wild tips and random scribblings and turn it into a recipe that a home cook can recreate. And then – That –
1: okay. I have a question on that actually. Sorry to interrupt. But like is there – do you find that there's like a trend in like uh, the chefs that you work with or the collaborators that you work with that they are frequently tripping up on or frequently coming to you as – Like if there is a through line as far as your feedback and what you would immediately like Uh, work with the collaborator to tweak, like is there – what would that thing be?
2: That's a really good question. I think uh, for restaurant chefs, it's scale. Um, They Mm. are used to making recipes that feed like an entire service. Um, So – and like they don't know how to make dinner for four. So sometimes they'll be like – Wow. You know – They'll try to scale down a portion of a recipe. They'll be like, use for chicken breasts or whatever. And then they'll be like, here's the sauce. It yields six gallons.
0: And you're like, okay.
2: <laughs> in fact, no. Um, we like can't do that. Um, like it just That's doesn't like work when out. I
0: worked at Al's Deli, I only knew how to make the aioli in large industrial quantities. Totally, right? You're like 56
2: egg yolks. Got it. Like that is like it's it's often that way. And then I have to just do insane math, like literally like divide by. 40 or something wow. bananas. Um, and then sometimes a recipe won't work if it's suddenly super small. Like uh, making aioli and mass at Al's Deli, probably you use like a Vitamix or some sort of giant thing. And then when you're trying to do one egg's worth of aioli in your blender, it's like not enough to actually like reach the mechanism. Oh, wow. So suddenly okay. you now have to do it with a whisk and by hand and, you know, so things will change depending on the scale. Um that's a big one. And the other main thing is like uh I tell I try to tell like all of our contributors that we work with that the BA audience is like an enthusiastic home cook like they are down to clown mm. but to a point. Like they will go to the grocery <laughs> store and like buy a fancy ingredient that they've never heard of before or like seek it out or they will try like a crazy new technique but they probably won't do both. So we have to like do mm. some balance in terms of what I think people will be willing to abide in their recipe. And sometimes that means talking to the chefs. I mean, it's it's ego management a lot of the time because they're like, I want my chef or my recipe that goes in Bon Appetit to be like amazing and perfect and highbrow and shishi and cool. Right. And you're telling me I can't use like aji dulce peppers grown in Peru. And I'm like, I am telling you that. We are going to have to find an alternative. (laughs) So You have
0: the coolest job. Also, the amount of knowledge you have in your head about something that – I mean, I know about food because I like to eat it, but I don't know anything about the technical aspect. (laughs) I just think you have the best day job.
2: It's really fun. It is really fun. And
0: wait, so how did you get here?
2: Um, I always loved cooking – ever since I like had to start doing it for myself. I wouldn't say like as a, as a child I cooked some. Um, I definitely like watched a lot of Food Network and like the first dinner I ever made for my whole family for dinner was like a giada recipe that I saw on TV. Um, but I wasn't like I'm going to be a chef when I was like 10 years old or something. But um, once I was in college, I really loved – I, I, I realized that I missed cooking like when I lived in the dorms and then was so happy to live off campus and have a kitchen and be cooking for myself every day. Um, and so I started a food blog, hashtag the early aughts, and um, that sort of propelled me to where I am now. I used uh, stuff – it was food and fashion, frankly. Um, I won't deny that that was a part of my history where I took outfit selfies. Um, but I did, <laughs> I did use um, like – uh bits and bobs from that blog to apply for jobs once I graduated. And I started um as a columnist at Food 52. I had like no experience. They had mm. no business giving me a column, but they did it. I convinced them. Um, so I developed recipes every week and wrote a column about them. Um, my column was called Hangry. And that was really fun. I did that for a couple of years. Um, then I worked at Eater um, in their video department. And then I moved to Blue Apron where I worked in their test kitchen, um, which was really fun. That was like a hands-on, like standing on your feet cooking. That was the first time I had that kind of job, Um, you know, wearing an apron and cooking all day long. And uh, to me, it was less the weekly boxes, developing recipes for those. That was fun um, and definitely taught me how to like develop a recipe under constraints. But um, it was more the like parties that we would throw at Blue Apron that taught me how to cook. There were amazing, amazing chefs who worked in the kitchen with me. And we would – they would give away like a dinner at the Blue Apron Test Kitchen as like a auction item to a benefit or whatever. Wow. And so people would come like every couple months, a, you know, a group of like 20 people would come um, and sometimes like uh, you could win it if you worked at Blue Apron. I don't know. There were all these various reasons why you might come to the Test Kitchen for a dinner. And we would take turns – developing the menu for it. And then you would sort of give jobs to everyone in the kitchen to like do prep and then service. And that was really how I learned to cook was watching these amazing chefs run these dinner parties. And that
1: was like, it sounds like maybe your first exposure to what it sounds like you're doing in your like out of Bon Appetit time. Totally. Which is like this dinner party, intimate cooking for just
2: the non-masses
1: kind of like cooking (laughs) like an intimate group. Yeah. yeah.
2: So after I start, I started at Epi, Ep- Epicurious and then I went to BA um, and now I've been at Bon Appetit for like three years. Um, but I wanted to have an outlet to cook different than the way I cook at work where everything is centered around the home cook. I wanted to be able to like be fussier than I would ever tell someone at home to be. Um, Mm. So, and I also really love hosting dinner parties, um, but my apartment is not big enough to match my dreams. So I was like, I need to find like an outside uh, venue where I can have a party as big as I want. Um, So I started dining room in last January. And it was basically like an outlet for me to get good at having parties and cook for a big group of people. And it's taken a lot of different forms, um, like 30 people all, you know, served at the same time or like 90 people who get like restaurant service, like, um, you know, they put in their tickets and they get paced out, their courses paced out throughout the evening, um, like, a la carte stuff versus a set menu. I've done lots of different ways to do it. I've partnered with friends and with, um, like, other outside collaborators. It's been really fun, and it's, like, definitely a learning experience. It's, like, very different to cook for 30 people than it is to cook for 20 in your house even, Um, especially when you have to schlep all the crap to some other venue in New York City, but it's really, really fun.
0: (laughs) I love it. Okay, so we know about the inspiration for it. But what is the aspiration for mm. dining
2: room? Basically, I want it to feel like you're at my house. The tagline that my husband very thoughtfully came up with for dining room was the parties we'd throw if we had one. Um, we don't have a dining room. Oh, I love that. So if we had one, this is the kinds of parties we'd throw in our house. And I want it to feel like you're you're over. Um, And that means like I'm going to do the flowers and they're not going to be as good as if a professional did the flowers, but you're at my house. Um, And like there's going to be like lots of uh, miscellaneous booze and it might not have like a cohesive through line, but like that's what's available is like so much random booze. I also really – uh prioritize like abundance and like an ample feeling. I've been to a lot of these types of dinners where you leave feeling like ooh, that was you know hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars even, and I don't feel like I got like my money's worth um and so my goal was always to cap the prices at under a hundred and also like I would rather buy an extra case of wine and just break even than not do that and make money on the event. Um, the money would ultimately go back to the events anyway. So I'm like, I'd rather there just be a lot and nobody be hungry. And if we have yeah. like 100 packages of, you know, Hormone Serrano leftover, then we are eating Hormone Serrano for a couple weeks, <laughs> I guess.
0: Like, Well, I can personally attest because I attended, I think one of the first events. Yeah. The first dining room events. I Went into the bathroom and unbuttoned my pants because I ate so much. (laughs) (laughs) And it was delicious.
1: uh, Didn't you eat off someone else's plate too? No,
0: that was another event that, (laughs) Kendra, I'm your biggest fan. I love it. Um, Yes. In an earlier episode of the pod, I did say that I'm a very traditional dessert person, like Mm. chocolate or bust, but the best dessert I've had in recent memory was the one at your um, dining room event at Public Records. Yeah. Where it was like a, I think it was like a meringue with passion fruit. Sure. Um, yeah. Our broken
2: Pavlova. Yeah.
0: Oh, God, it I love was, Pavlova. Kendra, it was so good. I turned to the table next to me and I was like, Are you going to eat that? And I ate it. It was so good. <laughs> anyway, so I funny. can really attest to the abundant nature of these events. I because love that. They're so good and you're so <laughs> talented. And we're so excited to have you and all of your expertise. So, Listeners, now you understand why Kendra is such a perfect person yes. to talk about restaurant wars, particularly this episode, because she's used to going into other restaurants and taking over their kitchens and, you know, having to fit it into her own vision. So before we get started, just one more thing, um, we just wanted to ask about, your relationship to Top Chef. Yes. When did you become a fan? Uh, what's some of your favorite moments, some favorite characters? Yeah. My husband and
2: I got into Top Chef during COVID. Um, I think we had watched mm, like – Same.
0: Yeah. We'd watched everything
2: else. So it was like – I had resisted it for a really long time. I was like, this is going to be too close to home or like, I don't know, something about it. I had – I just thought, mm. oh, that – it's like snotty chef's Cooking a type of way I don't like, like I'm not gonna enjoy this. And it's like gamified, which I'm not obsessed with. Like, no, mm-hmm. I won't love it. And then we started it and like didn't stop. <laughs> We're so obsessed with it. Like, <laughs> got so. Deep as it into turns it. out, we loved it. Yeah, it was truly <laughs> like. Life-changing um, and, like, literally got us through, like, the worst of COVID. Um, but we skipped a lot of the early seasons. Like, we were, we are completists. Right. So we did start at, like, season one, episode one. And very quickly we're like, oh, this vibe is bad. Like, there's, like – the early seasons are so wonky and, like, display a food culture that is, like, not – allowed anymore (laughs) like not just not allowed (laughs) just like isn't cool like it's just like so dated and strange and white and French and like like just like deeply away that neither of us were into so we skipped I think we started with like season eight or nine um and then went from there and we have on multiple occasions like in in waiting for a new season thought maybe we'll go back and try again with the early seasons and we are like, well, no. Um, it's just so – They are awesome.
0: hard to watch. They really are. Um, and the second that Netflix put season six on and I started watching it, I immediately felt like, wow, this did not age well.
1: Totally yes. weird.
2: Um, so like this season all, I, I – This is new to me. I watched this season to talk to you about it. Like, I I hadn't watched it. That's exciting then. I hadn't watched it the first time through. And it was nice to see some, like, familiar faces who show up later in All Stars. Right. um, Yeah. Like, and see some bananas outfits from Padma and, like, hair choices. Like, it feels so (laughs) extremely the year.
1: Um, Yes. It's really um, of a moment. I think that honestly is, like, the – Bulk of our discussion. Like, we talk about the food, but we it's really a a critique on the early aughts. It's a time Culturally, like, it's crazy. I mean, and I'll also say, we did the same thing. Like, we probably started with season five. And my – it's, like, not fair to admit, but the reason we just skipped over one was, like, it actually visually was not fun to watch. Like, it was so – the quality of the, like, video and recording was so old that it was, like, this is – unwatchable. Like, Like, it's fully, like, not pixelated.
2: We don't watch TV like that anymore. Like, it doesn't look like that. Like, even, uh, I was noticing, like, the quick fire challenges in season six. Like, you don't watch them cook anything. Like, they just, you know, it's, like, so weirdly, like, you barely see anything happening. And I think part of that has to do with, like, the culture has changed so much in terms of, like, people love cooking at home so much more now. I think than at this time that, like, people were like, I want to watch somebody – like, I'm more – like, I am interested in watching someone sear a piece of fish, whereas I think at this time people were like, what boring television to watch a a piece of
0: fish being seared. Yes. Yes. It was like the peak of reality TV before social media, so it was, like, all about the drama. Yeah. And I also think that – and this I could write a PhD dissertation on this, so thank you for coming to my TED Talk (laughs) – <laughs> the Great British Bake Offification of cooking shows mm. cannot be understated. No, for sure. The that switch from competitiveness to camaraderie, I think was a huge cultural yeah. shift and networks and production companies realizing that that's also compelling television. Totally. Was an enormous change in tone for the for I think all competition shows but particularly Top Chef, which to your point was these like super elite chefs coming from these storied pedigrees of chefs who would never let like anyone of color, anyone with an untraditional background, anyone who didn't go to like Cordon Bleu or like CIA. And I think Top Chef, to its credit, has really changed with the times. It has been a reflection of -hmm. the food industry and they have not shied away from that at all, Yeah, which I really appreciate.
2: Yeah. I think too, like um, Great British Baking Show does a crazy thing where – they are staying together over the course of the weekend, and yeah. we do not witness it. Like, sometimes they tell us, like, oh, you know, last night we da-da-da-da-da, or we all, like, sit around and talk at night, and that's why we're so close or something, but we don't witness it. Were that an American television show, there would be cameras in every single room of the so hotel where yes. they're staying, And, like, you see that in these – early seasons of Top Chef where it's like the home life of these people like them all sharing a house together and like fighting over the kitchen or whatever is so deeply part of it. Like last episode when they're like Eli is fighting with Robin over the scallops in the kitchen or whatever like that painful to watch. So horrifying but like (sighs) that is like part that's like fodder for the show like how they live together. I think COVID also erased a lot of that because they were like putting them up in hotels and stuff but the drama of, like, the real worldy nature of, like, yes, all these totally. people are living in a house, like, that should, <laughs> like, and they cook. That shouldn't be part of it. Just let them cook. Totally. Yes. yes. I okay. Think,
1: oh, go ahead. Go the ahead. The last thing that I'll say, too, is, like, for folks that are maybe just coming into Top Chef through the Netflix of it all and it being on Netflix for a spell, Um It's super interesting high level to compare season six with season 15, just as far as this exact dynamic goes, like you see that shift from like competition to camaraderie, like so in such sharp focus. So even though they're like seasons apart and it's like fun to watch in order, there is something very fun to just hopping right into that later season two to just be like, wow, like we have launched into the future. Also a
0: shameless plug that we will be reviewing season 15 after season 21 airs. So you know, down the line, stick with us, (laughs) stick with us listeners. But okay. The reason why you listeners stick with us is because we talk about and recap episodes of top chef. So we're going to do a very quick run through of the first half of the episode. And then we really want to have Kendra here to talk about restaurant wars and how it pans out. So very quickly, Kendra, a moose boosh reactions to the episode. Did you like it? Did you have fun this episode? I did
2: have fun – my notes are on my phone, that's why. I'm not texting while we're talking. Me too.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> me too. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> I did really enjoy it. I thought this was a really fun Restaurant Wars. It also is just like, damn, Restaurant Wars has come a long way. I think that will be the like mm. refrain for me. This whole thing is like, wow, um, things are different. But um, I also thought this was a really – I think every episode this season is going to highlight the Voltaggio brothers as a dynamic, but this episode did a particularly great job of mm-hmm. showcasing the two of them at odds with each other um, because they kept being on the same team um, and choosing to do that despite them, like their like <laughs> weird love hate relationship is like so bizarre um, that I thought as a top level, this was a really fun episode to watch.
0: That dynamic still exists to this day. Sorry, and then we will move on to actually talking about the food, <laughs> listeners. Um, I was on Instagram today looking at Michael Voltaggio's Instagram. Yeah, and he and Brian are clearly doing some food event in South Beach. Like all these top chef people are in South Beach right now, and it's like Michael's like poking his brother in the car, and he's like, "What are we doing today? What are we doing today? <laughs> oh my god!" <laughs> and like these men are like forty five <laughs> years old, and they're still doing this they're shit. Such babies, <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, I think. Restaurant Wars is just, it never disappoints. It's never. always fun. It's always
1: thrilling. It's always a great episode. I will say, I actually, and just to kind of launch into Maya Moose bouche on this, I, I feel like some seasons they don't do a quick fire challenge and mm. they just go right into Restaurant Wars. Yes. I actually love that they gave us a quick fire because it got us, like, I don't know, got the blood pumping. Like, it was a high, well, it was high stakes quick fire, first of all. And it just was like just high excitement. Like I actually love when they do the relay because, um, you get to see different chefs and we'll get into like quick detail on what that quick fire was exactly. But to be able to just see how a dish evolves as it gets, you know, passed along the hands of like four very different chefs Mm. was, was just very exciting to me. So the, you know, leaving even aside the restaurant wars of it all. Like I even loved the quick fire this time. Well, which is a
0: perfect segue. Let's talk about the quick fire. So we have a relay and we begin the relay by picking teams. Jen gets first pick Mm -hmm. and Michael Valtaggio gets second pick. Jen picks Kevin, but Kendra, we want to know if you were Jen and you got first pick, whom would you pick? I think I'd also
2: pick Kevin. I think like he mm. is so strong and he feels easy to work with. Um I think mm. I don't think I would touch the, Vol- the Vol- Voltagios at all. I think I'd l- <laughs> I'd let them have each other.
0: Um for better I'd rather have Robin than the Voltaggio's. Yeah, yes. for sure. Oh man. We're real suckers for Kevin over here. I kind of yes. feel like we both would pick him too. <laughs> God,
2: he's great. But okay, he's the thing advanced. that I think is so funny is that and this is maybe a feature of later seasons too. They know that when there are eight people left, that's gotta be restaurant wars. Right. But this yeah. season, there was no mention of them being like, I guess today is restaurant wars. Like if that right. if this was a if this was a more modern season, they would be thinking about picking those teams so, so seriously because they would be like, inevitably, yes. this is gonna
1: be my restaurant wars team. But that wasn't even I, a factor. I totally agree. I think like I've I've talked about this uh with somebody that Top Chef in the later seasons becomes extremely self-referential. Like you have past Top Chef winners or contestants coming on as judges. You have this sort of like Branding commoditization of the like core moments of Top Chef, like a restaurant wars. Like, that's so true. I'm, I completely agree that that's something to pick up on here. And yeah, I mean, in season 20, Buddha is like talking about statistics Yeah. of oh. Top
0: Chef. And he's like, statistically, you're going to go home if you do X, Y, and Z. And so Crazy. I didn't do that.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And like, there weren't even enough data points at this juncture. To be like, this is what normally happens at Restaurant Wars. Like there wasn't yeah, a normal pattern yet. recognition. Yeah. At now, of course, there's like so many seasons. They can create charts and be like, this is how often front of house right. goes home. But like that's not when it, there's only been five Restaurant Wars before you. Like
0: it's harder to track. It's so true. It's so true. But okay, let's talk about the food that we got um, mm. in the quickfire. So Team Blue, I believe, is Jen. Um, it's Jen, Kevin, Mike, and Lorene. This is a great team because you don't have the Voltagios
1: and you don't have Robin. Like <laughs> exactly. you,
0: you've eliminated both lightning They're like polarity. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everybody's hanging out in the middle, in the high upper middle. Yeah, Exactly.
0: Yeah. And then the red team is Michael Voltagio, who picks his brother first. Very cute. Um, Eli and Robin. So that's who we have. And we have a relay challenge where... Each competitor gets 10 minutes to cook, to participate in the construction of a dish. Mm -hmm. And the other three are blindfolded, unable to see what their teammate is doing at any given point in time. So it's a surprise when they get there. And it's very thrilling to watch them piece everything together, I think at least.
2: I agree. I think that would be so hard. Um, like to me, I think it was Eli who went first for his team and he was like, I'm just going to try and meze a bunch of shit and then people can do whatever they want. I think that was like the right mentality. If you go in mm. with too strict a formula in your head of like, I'm making this type of dish, then you leave the next person like looking at all of your bits and being like, uh, what was this supposed to be? Like the mm, time leaf like floating in the water. They're like, I'm sorry, what is that? I don't know what this is supposed to be.
0: We also had – I did think a very funny moment was Robin spent her 10 minutes doing something and Brian immediately disregarded yes, it. like yes. There was no world they were going to use any component that she created. Absolutely. So they were essentially a team of three.
2: Yeah, of course. <laughs> to your point about the Voltagios like undoing everything that Robin did – there was like a little bit of sass when they were explaining their dish at the end um, where he said like, this: the miso puree is too salty, but it's because the steak is under seasoned. So oh. it, he was explaining like, I evened out like somebody else's bad cooking and that's why it tastes I this way. That. And it's like, you didn't have to say that. In fact, you could
1: have just no.
2: uh, stood by your dish. <laughs>
1: yeah I I, okay so enough on the food maybe the thing that I really enjoyed was Kevin's comment on just how disorienting it was just to be blindfolded for that amount of time for 30 minutes which I'm like yeah that actually should not go without saying like can you imagine (laughs) just having to be blindfolded and silent for like 30 minutes and then like immediately finish a plate of food that is like almost 75 percent of the way done so wild. um That'd be nuts in my mind. I
0: really did not take that into- We think Kevin's the most interesting person in the world. So I was surprised you didn't have an anecdote. Like, my cousins and I used to stand in a closet blindfolded. <laughs> yeah. Like, he always has- He's honestly like Slumdog Millionaire. Like, he always has some childhood experience <laughs> that has made him great at the challenge. It's really funny. Like, I Wait, would not be surprised. that's
1: such an astute observation.
0: Thank yeah. you. I-, I just think he's the most interesting man in oh the world. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> my God. Okay, well, so anyways, so- we have a winning dish for the blue team, yes. hooray, and they are awarded uh, $10,000 that they can split amongst them, or they can let it ride, Vegas style. Let
2: it ride. And each
0: get, let it ride, and each get $10,000 should they win restaurant worse, yes. And they let it ride. They don't even like blink. They let it ride. Yeah. Good for them.
2: Respect. Yeah, absolutely. They feel so much confidence after that win that they're like – Robin and the Voltajios are going to explode themselves. We will have no problem with this. Right.
1: Well, and where was your head at, Kendra? Like, you saw both of those teams cook. Like, were you feeling like, yes, this is Blue's, like, restaurant wars to lose based on what you saw, or was it still kind of up in the air for you?
2: I did think that it was theirs to lose. I was like, this is – it's so smart of them to decide that they're going to each get $10,000 later. Like, I think that yeah. – well, that will be no problem. Like, just watching – the infighting of the other team, I was like, yeah, pro-, like in mm-hmm. a challenge that's, you don't even have to deal with each other, like you're isolated, tr- literally, like wearing a blindfold and cooking alone, they still couldn't manage it. Like for a challenge where they have to like <laughs> work together and actually like figure
0: shit out, there's no way. Oh, we didn't even talk about the guest judge, Rick Moonen, but. He's the king of sustainability, according to Wikipedia, is all you really need to know. Uh, he won a James Beard Award also. Mm-hmm. Shout out Rick Moonen. But he has a restaurant in Vegas. Oh, do you know something about Rick Moonen that we don't?
2: No, I was just going to say their use of oh. the word sustainability on this episode was also so funny and and indicative <laughs> of the year to me. Um, like he, I, I'm like, did they really know what it meant in 2009? I'm not sure. <laughs> he used it at one point in a way that made it sound like he was describing a flavor. Like he, yes, yes. Oh my god! And I was like, oh my god! Wait gosh, a Kendra. minute, what?
0: That's not how that works. It tastes really sustainable. Totally. (laughs) I was like, like, uh. hmm." hmm. But anyway, so we have these two teams, classic restaurant, we're set up. Um, And before we dive in, we wanted to, based on your expertise, just ask you some questions about what it's like to take over someone's kitchen and put on your own bespoke menu. Love it. Um, So, would you mind just talking to us a little bit about when you go into someone else's kitchen? What are the moving pieces? and variables that you need to contend with, you know, like between venue, the way the kitchen is set up, the way the waiters are going to run. What are the different things that you have to take care of? I mean,
2: there's all sorts of, uh, moving parts. It kind of is crazy. And you, I did not know what to expect until it happened to me. And that meant like I had hours until people were arriving. So you just have to like figure it out. But, um, for some of the stuff that I do, it's like In an event space so the kitchen is like totally pristine you know mine for the taking over like i get to do whatever i want and that is delightful but when i have done events in restaurant spaces when i am like pretending to be a restaurant for the night which is not my uh favorite thing to do but that is a version of this that i have done before that is so much more difficult because you're going into a live workspace you're going into a place where like people are and have set up their business to their preferences. And you have to figure out like you don't know where anything is. You don't know how they set up their line. You don't know where they put their pass usually sometimes depending Mm -hmm. on the space. um, That's not like immediately discernible to you. And you really have to just like break down the space and reorganize it depending on your needs for the night. Um, I think for a lot of these restaurants, it's like that Top Chef is going into – They are – they're much more uh, high end than the places where I'm working. So the kitchens are in a little bit better shape and the setup is like a little bit more standardized. Um, I think that's also a a vestige of like the, you know, the previous version of Top Chef where like everyone is used to working in a brigade and like now there are – there's a lot more diversity in the types of cooks that are coming on the show such that you might not have experience in like a formal brigade kitchen and you might be like a different Mm -hmm. type of guy and um so then it's like maybe more difficult to like fold yourself into the kitchen um the way that it's set up more standardly but yeah there's a lot to there's a lot to consider um different kitchens have different like obviously equipment and you might not know what's available to you and you might not know what the fridge situation is like or the freezer situation like a lot of Top Chef is uh, what we, my husband and I complain about a bunch is like these variables should be, shouldn't be there. Like they should flatten all mm-hmm. the variables so that there's no, someone isn't like, ah, oh, there's no ice cream machine and I thought that there would be. Like there, that shouldn't be a surprise. Um, but that is what happens. Right. Sometimes you have no idea what's available to you and you have to make it work.
1: Going off of that, like, right, like, you don't know what to prepare for. You don't know what's going to greet you. Like, how does that factor into, like, your mise and your mise en place and what you're preparing pre-kitchen and post-kitchen? Like, have you – how have you maybe, like, evolved your personal process as you've gone through several iterations of dining room? Totally. It's so much better when you know you're going to be back in a space
2: another time um, because mm. now you've learned some of its quirks. And I will plan a menu – With those quirks in mind, like there is a place that I've worked where the oven is like, who knows, it it might be any temperature and like, you just don't know. And so after my first time when I tried to cook a cake in there and it did not work, um, After that, i developed menus with no oven use at all. Um, And if I had to bake anything in the oven, I would do it at my house before transferring everything over to the event space. Um, And so like uh, at Public Records, there's like a very specific kitchen setup. And after I had done one event there, I planned all of my menus in a way that would be executable in the space. So sometimes you have to like – kill your darlings in terms of like dishes that you think would be really fantastic, really delicious, you want to make for people, but it's just not going to be feasible in this kitchen. You have to be able to pivot. And like we see that in restaurant horse happen all the time. Like people in their planning stages have a certain dish in mind. And then when the heat of the kitchen hits you, they're like, okay, scrap that, change the topping, you know, plate it this other way. What if we did a different set? You have to like kind of be – thinking on your feet because you never know what is going to
1: happen. Talk to us a little bit too about like, so you're just one person. Obviously you have to have like this like outsized impact as far as like all of this preparation, all of this thinking and like just pivoting on your toes. Like what do you look for in terms of the people that you have at your side, like helping out throughout this? Like what does your team look like? Um, How do you guys just support one another as this? Yeah. Unfurls.
2: Yeah. I think a huge thing like, and this is like, a huge problem in Restaurant Wars is people don't think alike, right? They're all different kinds of chefs who cook very differently. And for me, I always want people to work with who I trust, certainly. Like I'd love to be able to be like make a salad dressing and and then I walk away and I know that they're going to make an amazing salad dressing and I don't have to think about it. And also like people who I know get me, Um I was really happy to do a dining room with Rachel Gurjar during last summer, who is my station partner at work. So we have like these big stations at the Bon Test Kitchen and she cooks directly across from me. And there's no one who I talk to or taste food from or witness chop things more than her. She has seen me make every single thing I've ever made and I'm vice versa. So if I'm like, can you, you know, cut these – scallions or something she knows exactly how I cut my scallions and so she'll Mm -hmm. do it that way um and the same way for her when she's like I really want to do this type of um you know I want to finish the dish in this way I know how she likes to plate and so I'm gonna mimic like her her plating style when I'm putting up a dish that she created um and so having that like experience of working together is invaluable. And that is of course eliminated the second that you are cooking on a team with people you've never cooked with before. Um, and so all of that familiarity, it's any team sport, like, you know, where your, your teammate is going to be. So you pass the ball to an empty space because you know, they're going to run to it. Like, and to- mm-hmm. And Restaurant Wars is people throwing balls all over the place and no one is there to catch them. And like that is such a problem and I
0: don't envy yeah, them also, at all. And also, by the way, <laughs> disincentivized to catch them. Absolutely. Like they are competing right. against each other. Yes.
2: And like – so yeah, I think it's – I'm sure we'll talk about this, but to me the only way to win at Restaurant Wars is to like look out for number one and like – You can try to help as much as possible, but you got to get your dish up and your dish has to be good and kind of you shouldn't help anybody else, which is a terrible mentality in a kitchen and not how any of this kind of stuff would have to go and not how a successful restaurant is ever run. That's
1: such a good point. It's such a good insight
0: into it as well. Wow. Thank you for all that. This is so interesting. You're adding such an
1: incredible dimension to this. (laughs) And I'm I'm honestly excited to kind of have that as sort of the foundation for – just ribbing some people here and the decisions that they made because there was some crazy moments that we saw this episode. I think- um, Let's talk about the menu.
0: Right off the bat, we have the red team, or sorry, the blue team saying no dessert. It's like the first thing Mm -hmm. out of Jen Carroll's mouth, which I thought strategically was a huge risk.
2: I was so aghast. I literally wrote it in my notes, in all caps, no dessert, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Like, what- (laughs) What do you mean? It's a dinner. Like you have to you have to offer it,
0: yes. And even though i we really don't like Toby, um, he turns out is a really bad guy, Kendra. Mm. Um he did say, like, I find myself wanting dessert, and I have never related to him more yeah. in that way. <laughs> you
1: probably never will. And I will never <laughs> relate to him again based on his indiscretions in recent years. Wow, okay. So one thing also that we should say, food aside for a moment um the folks that get uh, put in front of house so before things even get cooking we have blue team Lorene takes the front of house and on the red team we have eli take front of house where you wh- where are your guys' heads at on that like were you surprised by those decisions like would you have made different decisions if you were on either of those teams Eli
2: felt like the only choice. Like he, like mm-hmm. in a, in a lineup of any other group of people, I would have been like not Eli. But I think with his team, there was no alternative. They weren't going to put Robin out there. Neither of the Voltagios was ever going to deign to leave the kitchen. So like you, you really were left with Eli. And I think he registered that immediately and volunteered because he knew that was kind of the only yeah. way to go.
0: Yeah, and. I think much to all of our surprise he crushed it. Like he did a really that was good surprising honestly. Good job. And he was very formal. Like he was not warm or welcoming, but he executed the job really really well. And then Lorraine, I was surprised by this choice only because I have found her energy to be so low. Yes. The entire mm-hmm. season. When
2: she does her she- um like direct to camera whatever those are like confessionals, I it's like she's high. She's like yeah. so like mellow in a way so that is crazy to me.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and her she as and then combine I completely agree. Combining that with front of house where she's supposed to be greeting guests, like and she's clearly nervous. Right. And doesn't like is freaking out, she shuts down. Like she gives them go on, girl, give us nothing. The fact that quote, she never honestly, even says what the dishes are. She drops them
2: on the table for the judges and walks away. Like and literally Padma's line. Oh, there she goes. Yeah. (laughs) Like it takes Padma. Honestly, I think that's the
1: ep title. (laughs) There she goes. It's true. Like, do you mind like telling us like what's on the plate? Like what we're eating? Baseline. She was Padma was like not having it. She was just like it was like the way that she asked was garnered no joy or cheekiness. It was can you tell me what I'm eating? Yeah. It was intense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. And then other things to discuss. Oh, yeah. One note, note that I would say is, uh, on as far as the front of house piece, I actually would have gone Mike I. Like, uh. if I was that team, I would have 100% gone Mike I. And I think for the same reason, Kendra, that you uh, pointed out on the red team, which is I don't think they had another choice. Um, I guess they did, but they picked the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Because um, Jen and Kevin are obviously – Needed in the kitchen. They're going to be the strongest in the kitchen. Well, not this episode, but typically. Lorene, I kind of would take the same stance as Robin, which is I just wouldn't trust her out there. And Mike is sort of the lesser of the two evils where he's not going to be like a knockout uh, chef like contributing on the plate. But I think he would have had at least the charisma of a 2009 like wacko to at least keep people's interest on on the floor. I think you
0: nailed it. That is yeah. perfect.
1: Anyway, so let's talk food. Let's get into it and stop, <laughs> you know, critiquing everybody's personality and all yeah, that we're
0: stuff. being really mean. Yeah. <laughs> we're sorry, except to Mike Isabella. <laughs> we're not sorry. To him. Monster. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so let's talk turkey, aka dishes. The so they had to make. They did not explain this when Padma was giving the rules, but they clearly had to make a four course meal. Mm-hmm. With two options for each course. Because yes. each team did two options for each course. Which is a ton of food. And then to exclude dessert from one of those courses. The blue team is cooking eight dishes. Which is
2: so right. much food. So much food.
1: Well and I did you guys notice this? I'm curious. and Maybe I mis- mis- uh, remembered, But I thought it was interesting high level. You had the red team really kind of divvy up plate ownership over courses whereas the blue team I think actually you had one chef per course right so you had Jen do two dishes for a course you had Kevin yes. do two, two dishes I thought that was not the right idea at all I don't know how they ended up with that decision but the themes for these restaurants did not exist which I think
2: was a detriment mm. to them like revolt backwards e the guy <laughs> like, he said what did he say when I wrote down some hilarious quotes, one of the Voltagios said that revolt backwards would be modern American restaurant, maybe with some contrasting flavors or something like that. Huh? <laughs> like, what could that mean? You're literally describing a Chili's. I don't know what you mean. Oh and then my God. for mission, They said, based on the architecture, it's understated and not especially flashy, which as a person who grew up in California around mission architecture everywhere, that is not what mission architecture even is. So like, I don't even know what their theme, like they had no themes. They had just like random mishmashes of dishes with no cohesion.
1: I thought that was crazy.
0: Very well argued. Yes. <laughs> I cannot dispute any of that. I completely And agree. honestly,
1: in future seasons, that's like a primary critique that the judges laud. Totally. Is like, There's no through line to this. Like, what were you guys thinking? Yeah, I mean, I guess, so red team was, or excuse me, blue team. We had a couple fish. We had undercooked lamb. Yeah, blue um, team. Okay,
0: here's what we had on the blue team we had asparagus with a, with six, a 6 minute, minute egg. egg which i would like oh, to Lord. flag
2: is so random
0: like that
2: <laughs> for for a, for that is so cookbook language that is so bon appetit language 6 minute egg that is like that is a uh, home cook driven, right? To like say how long you cooked the egg? Like a chef would call that like a soft <laughs> egg or a soft right. or like something else. To call it oh a 6-minute egg
0: is so weird. So bizarre. Oh my gosh. Okay, so then after that he made his arctic char tartare, which was a bit bland. Um then we have jen with bullion-based consommé. The consommé was not a consommé. It was mm-hmm. not clear. Um and a seared trout dish, broken sauce. Mm. Um then we have Kevin's pork three ways. Obviously, Kevin's doing pork three yes, ways. Three porks. I mean, porcs. the bacon king.
1: Three oh porks in one dish.
0: The only thing that could be better would be four porks in one okay. dish. Okay.
1: Is this – I'm curious, Kendra. Is this a trend that persists because at this moment in time, there's such a fascination with blank two ways, blank three ways. Does this still happen?
2: No. I think it's so okay. – Well, sometimes on Top Chef, like in the more recent seasons, it does. And the line that – Padma or whoever always says is if you're going to do something two ways like just do it one way really good like yes yes why are you fucking around with making it multiple ways like yes and that is true if you what if you just nailed one style of pork like it's not unique enough it's not like uh, I can't even think of an ingredient that like some sort of very special unique something that you have to display it in multiple whatever it's pork just do one pork (laughs)
1: So, so true of, of
0: all the ingredients yeah, you have to do pork, three different on. ways oh, yeah, that is yeah, such yeah. a good point but okay just to get through this then we have um lorraine's lamb mm-hmm. and oh that's everything i believe did and you have thoughts? executed
1: that the the main tension in course three well there was a lot of tension in this uh kitchen but um on the lamb the rare versus medium rare conundrum what were what were you seeing yourself looking at that kind of like waiting to get taken out to the tables. Who was right? I
2: have no idea who was right. I think it is it is quite um subjective. And so I think that what they should have done is like cooked one off at the beginning of the service and been like, this is how done I'd like it to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And then like she should have done that when she wasn't gonna be back there to see it. Like cook one off, show him this is how done I want it, and then leave him a piece. So he's looking against a a sample, basically, like right. that's what I would do for like cutting portion sizes of something. You cut one, confirm it with the person, and then cut every one after that against that sample. So I feel like they just messed up by not agreeing. It it, it doesn't matter what it's called as long as it looks the same every time. Right. Then they would have been fine.
0: Wow. Yeah. S- Kevin so true. <laughs> seemed very befuddled by like the lack yeah. of communication there.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of. This was not a team challenge like this was like everybody kind of in their own corners not looking at what other people are doing the fact that that group just missed so many obvious things like give me something to like check the doneness of the meat against tell padma and judges what they're eating when you put it down it just felt like a lot of very amateur level mistakes somehow from like a very high level caliber group
2: the other thing I wanted to say based on your comment about how like it seemed like each person took a course rather than like spl- splitting up the dishes throughout them meant that like uh, Mike was cooking two starters, which are just smaller, like and right. other people are cooking like progressively larger and larger dishes. So it's actually mm-hmm. like not equal. Um, you would want to take yeah, like one starter and one of the larger mains to like make that feel equal in in effort.
0: Yeah, and then it's also, like, a recipe for disaster with, like, a bottleneck. Like, Jen got slowed down. Right. And so the whole service got slowed down. Yeah. Um, But, okay, let's talk about the Red Team because even though we've been sort of making fun of them, they
1: did incredibly well. In Tom's words, best restaurant in six seasons.
2: Could not believe that. What do you think? So crazy.
1: I would love to hear just, like, high-level reactions to maybe why you think that – why you think that was. Just as far as the team, the structure of that team, because I think we were critiquing in the quickfire round, you know, how unsuccessful they were as far as like a relay group. Why do you think the dynamic of that team translated well to the elimination challenge context to the restaurant wars situation? I honestly
2: think like the Voltaggio brothers for all of their like crazy bluster are machines in a kitchen and like (laughs) they were just like not going to let anything go by. Like, they were – like yeah. for, pr- for prep, like, the other – the blue team was already behind in terms of prep. Like, people started pouring into the dining room before they were ready even, like, set with their stations. And, like, the Voltaggio brothers, based on what we saw, are, like, measing all their shit and, like, to- have a clean station and are ready to go, like, m- like a long time before the dining yeah. room opened. They- they're just, like – They're robots. They're, like, animatrons in the kitchen. And so I think, like, that was – to their benefit, like, working a long time, like, in in a kitchen where you're not the boss um, and you just have to, like, execute, 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 I think
0: prepares you really well for restaurant wars.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's totally spot on. I also think that another – like, because they were not blindfolded and couldn't communicate in the challenge, like, the – Voltaggio brothers couldn't come in and just dictate how it was going to go. Totally, And they are are dictators. Yeah, Yeah. that was the biggest handicap in the challenge. And yeah, yeah, it definitely like comes to a head in the kitchen with that scene of Robin and Mike yelling at each other. But it's going to be Mike's way at the end of the day. Like he's not going to let anything go out that he hasn't approved. And I mean, essentially like he was the executive chef. So they had a, a person who was accountable and that person who was accountable felt the responsibility whereas the blue team didn't have a singular person who was accountable to the quality of the food going out. Totally. They were also, just like –
2: uh, like Eli is gone, right? Eli's in the in the dining room. So it's Robin and a set of brothers. So like she, <laughs> she loses. Like, you know, she – Yeah, she, she didn't, didn't hold a candle. She is going right. to be deferring to their whatever every single time. So after Mike is yelling, relax, relax, relax at her, like she might like put up her little like – Fight for like one second to like try and stand her ground and not be, you know, walked all over. But like, pretty soon she is just going to have to succumb because like there's no winning.
1: Yeah, it's two to one. And I think, um, I really, you know, it was maybe not the right approach, but I do respect the fact that he was like, I drew that knife, I picked this team. And I think he sort of knew what that meant. Uh, As far as like responsibility leadership goes. So I really liked that he defaulted to that. And, you know, frankly, like he's much more of an alpha presence and Robin is, of course, beta. I really liked that. And this is we talk a lot about sort of Robin perception then versus Robin perception now looking back at it. This was, again, to me, a perfect example of, I actually think Robin was totally in the right to intervene and be like, this is my dish. I need to cook it. I need to cook it the way I want to cook it. And I feel like it was such a cheap shot for him to latch onto her swearing at him and pour all of his meanness and ire into that and be like, you can't talk to me like that. It's like, You guys have been talking to this woman as if she is dirt for weeks. Like I don't know. I just as if your brother,
2: as if your brother doesn't swear at you every single second and you swear back at him. Suddenly it's like this one woman says, "Like leave my fucking dish alone one time or something," and he loses his mind. And to her credit, her dish was great. They loved it. Yeah, and like they loved it. To me, that's all the redemption that she needs. Is like at the end of the day, y'all can scream all you want. I put my pear tart out there and everybody loved it. So you're welcome. So
1: true. I love that she has just fully committed to just being the thorn in the side. Um, and she's just like, I'm going to be here for as long as I'm here and they can just deal with it. She's love also it. like
0: 20 years older than all yeah, of them. Yeah, that I also think that makes
1: the whole thing. Young. She has
0: a lot of perspective and like life experience that just makes these like Young boys yapping at her, a non ish. Like, she does not care what they think right. of her. No. And it I think it is so crazy George-
2: if, like, if she was on a modern top chef season, the fact that she overcame cancer, everyone would be so fucking nice to her all the time. Like, Yes. And they'd be like, "Do your Pilates, go Queen!" Like, and instead <laughs> they're like, "They're like stupid Robin doing Pilates, uh,
0: Mom!" Uh. like
2: so weird to me.
0: It's cr- it's so weird. Oh my gosh. Okay, but we need to talk Sorry. about the food. Sorry, we literally have not talked about the food that the Red Team created. I will say
1: that all of their plates looked pretty good. Yeah, it looked delicious. Yeah, they looked great. So
0: yeah. So first we have a. Okay, the one that I was confused by but they clearly loved was the chicken and calamari pasta dish. Who um, oh, knows? Who mm. knows?
1: But clearly that chicken was cooked well. What is pressed chicken? What is I, that? Just I have no it's no just idea. pressed between a pan. Maybe I don't know. It's just really flat? I tell
2: you, I wondered I if the like calamari pasta was like the pasta was made of calamari.
0: I think that's what yeah. it was, but it just yeah. felt like an odd pairing. The way Very like strange. a few. Episodes ago, the beets and prawn gnocchi of it all. Like,
2: just a strange dish. 2009 Um,
0: was weird. It was a weird time. (laughs) It was a weird time to be eating in fine dining establishments. Then we also have a smoked Arctic char. Mm. Next course, beef two ways. Duo Duo beef. beef, Brian Voltaggio with meat and potatoes once again. Two beefs. Then cod and billy bee sauce, which I... Guess I should have looked up. No idea what that is. Mm-mm. Uh, a pear pativier and a chocolate ganache. Those desserts looked incredible, yes, but also very of the moment.
2: Yes, his. It was so funny that the selling point of his ganache was that it bend. It bended. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God, dude. The drama about that ganache, too, between the brothers Voltajai. Well, you did that last time and it sucked. Like, it better not suck. Is it going to be grainy? Can you make it not rainy? Is it going to be great? Yeah. Like, shut up, <laughs> Jesus Christ. What an instigator. I know. Oh my God. But also, I mean, kind of crazy, right? Like, you, it didn't work last time. I didn't personally remember there being a lot of signal there that it even was anything redeemable about it so I was kind of surprised that he went for that like and and did it again you know yeah but good on him because they liked it um they loved Robbins easily the best thing that she's made they said but okay so we get to judges table honestly there's not much to say about the um
0: winning team other than they did a great job so hooray for them
2: though right before judges table they do do a super cut of all the times that Mike Voltaggio has screamed at everyone and then hit intersperse his confessional where he's like there's no room for ego in the kitchen like unbelievable (laughs) perfect editing
1: so good great editing give them an Emmy for editing excellence yeah there definitely is like a steady ratcheting up of his ego as the season progresses you kind of start out and he seems to be like really humble but really talented and yeah we've really kind of turned the corner and left the station on that
0: Oh yeah, oh wait. Also, like in this episode in the relay challenge, he's like, I don't finish other people's food. I make my own food. It's like, okay, my guy. It's no one's gonna be like, Do you think that Michael Voltaggio is like a sous chef based on this one challenge? No one's watching this and being like, This guy definitely needs to finish my food. Yeah. He he better
2: yell like six or seven more times, or else someone will think he's a beta. (laughs)
0: <laughs> relax, relax 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 oh, oh my gross. intense but so then we have the bottom and judge's table and jen is clearly like really defeated and so embarrassed about her performance she's um, had a bad Kevin, day fish
2: wise yeah. too like early in yeah. the um in the earlier challenge she like misnamed her fish it was Sable fish and she called it trout which is like a huge oh, bummer right. yeah. and like You know, a person who like cooks fish a lot professionally. She like, and then she made a bunch of fish for this, and it got or seafood and it got screwed up. Like, I think she was just like,
0: "Wow, I'm having a bad one." Yep, absolutely. Um, Then we have so Kevin really goes unscathed also in judges' Mm -hmm. table because Kevin's incredible. Um, And I was surprised though that he didn't get more dinged for the cook on the lamb because. Under a protein is a huge error yeah, that in Top was kind Chef, of and he, though it was Lorene's dish, he was executing it, and he executed them all way underdone. Totally, I think so they maybe it did come up, and they just didn't show it.
2: Yeah, for some reason, I think they are doing so much more of like a that was her dish, and she was responsible for it, mm-hmm. than in the later seasons they don't do that. They'd really talk about the person who was doing the actual cooking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Totally. And then, so Mike Isabella's boring. Really, Lorene was like the clear target here on this team. And I guess in a way, as I'm look, if we go back to the beginning of our conversation with like, who's the right person to choose for what role, like Lorene really was the weakest link on this mm-hmm. team. And it was almost like they were <laughs> like, The judges and the teammates were looking for a way to get rid of her. Like like a sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Like not, not in a nasty, I don't think that they felt the way about Lorene that they feel about Robin, like she needs to go, but they did sort of like, (laughs) I know, doesn't the term scapegoat come from the Bible where like you put all your faults on a goat and like send it out of town. Like, right. That's kind of what they did to her. And um, we see Lorene go home. Yeah. But okay. Now we get to some very, a few quick fun segments. The first of which is my favorite because it's a one-word answer. Kendra, Lorene's lamb with pea salad. Would you eat that?
2: No. (laughs) I think no. Uh, Like when so many people were like, this is raw lamb, I think that would – Squidge me out i would not like that 100% thing.
1: agree agree i'm a no
2: on yeah. eating this not much to debate
0: here i think so far there's only been one eliminated dish that we said we'd eat yeah um oh, but okay so the next segment we're gonna do a little where are they now on lorraine i looked her up and she has she had and continues to have a very successful career she ran a catering company called left coast catering on the West Coast. And she um, posted something about it about a year ago on Instagram that she had sold the company to a larger catering group. Mm. And she talked about um, essentially like the success she had had. She said that they had come to cater incredibly high profile events. She said she catered for Steve Jobs and Hillary Clinton and like all these big people. So she had a great event. And then she said COVID just sort of like tired her out and she was like, I need to move on. So she sold her company Great. Payday for Lorraine. And now she does – she seems to have an ongoing collaboration with One Medical. She does online cooking oh, wow. tutorials for One Medical. And she does a lot of, like, online and in-person cooking classes. So I think she's just having fun. She did that's not go awesome. – she was never a restaurant chef. She was always a catering chef. Yeah. So I guess that's diversity in 2009. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, not restaurant chef. Um. So, yeah, that's where Lorraine is now. She seems quite happy. Um. And now it brings us to our final segment. Mm, Yes. Judgy table, where you get to rant about one thing for one minute. And Kendra, as our guest, would you like to go first or would you like one of us to go first? I would like one of you to go first.
1: I want to watch. Yeah. Nancy, you can take it in for context. You can rant about anything. It could be like food trends of the moment. It could be something that came up in the episode. Um, Really, we just use this as a period to just let it all out. Um, But yeah, Nancy, I think you can kick it off with Judgy Table and your minute starts now.
0: All right. My Judgy Table is not related to the episode, but it is related to restaurants. And that is, I'm tired of American bistros. Burger, fries, and a martini is no longer interesting to me. It had its moment. Mm -hmm. I had some delicious burgers. I spent way too much on them. Like a hamburger should not cost more. I mean, I honestly think it shouldn't cost more than $20, but it should not cost more than $30. Oh my God. And New York City is out here making some insane burgers. And while I love a burger, I believe there is a plateau. I believe there is only so good a burger is going to get. And also I always feel kind of sick afterward. Like it's just too much food and it just, I I don't think it's original. I don't think it's cute anymore. I Mm -hmm. think it's had its day in the sun. And I'm ready to go back to some interesting cuisines. No more like throwback. I'm not going to name the restaurants because I've been to all of them and they're delicious and I don't want to insult them. Um, But I'm just a little tired of the American bistro concept. I think it was fun. I've eaten a burger too many times in 2023. I need to lose the weight. Mm. And it's time to be gone. Give Give me
1: some new regions of Thai cuisine. I love that. Amazing. Amazing. And, and not to like co opt yours, but I I actually feel like I say the same thing and I say this as a Greek person, but I do think that there's like a a top limit to how fine and like delicious Greek food can be. Like you can only take it to a certain elevation before you're overpaying for it. Mm -hmm. Like it it just shouldn't, (laughs) I, I just don't think that there's like such a thing as like ultra fine Greek dining because I think at its core, like it's, like taverna food and it's very rustic but I don't know I've been called out on that before and so I'm ai think with Greek or Mediterranean food it's just like the
0: same way with like Guinness and Ireland like the closer you get to the source the better it is true it's not necessarily like a high-end fine dining cuisine that's going to make it better what's going to make it better yeah. is being in the Mediterranean mm-hmm. and enjoying it mm-hmm. for sure um but okay true. so that's my judgy table I love it do you want bits to go Jeez. first or do you want to go, do you want to close us out or do you want to sandwich? I don't, sandwich?
2: I'll, I'll go now because I, I want to end okay. up high and I don't think it's going to be me. Okay. I think you're going to be this, Kendra. <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay.
0: Don't, Kendra, your judgy table, one minute on the clock starts now.
2: Okay. In this episode of Restaurant Wars, Revolt, like backwards E, did an insane, <laughs> did an insane thing that they just showed like a 30 second clip of and nobody talked about it, which was they brought everyone in the... Dining room, sunflowers. Do you remember this oh, scene? Oh yes. It was so, so weird. Bizarre. Why did they do that? Did they just give them to the women? Because in the scene, all you saw was women being given flowers. What is that? What was happening in 2009 that made people think, you know what we should do during restaurant wars? Hand out flowers with the check to the women. Psycho behavior. I do not understand. And I do not understand why they did not talk about it they just presented it as if that is normal thing for a restaurant to do it is not no one has ever given me a flower at a restaurant and i am happier for it i uh, i don't think so honey
0: <laughs> yes for sure, yes for sure. thank you kendra like that was incredibly weird also like sunflowers are not a nice flower to hold they're, they're very
1: creepy spiky looking too I- Up close. It was bizarre. They just
2: bought so many of them and then they gave them out? I don't – the only thing I can think of, the only rationalization is that whoever was at Restaurant Depot or whatever forgot that they weren't doing decor, bought flowers for the table. There weren't – they couldn't put flowers on the table and then they were like, I guess we'll just give them out. Which, if that is what happened, we (laughs) needed to hear somebody say that. It
1: was so strange. Yes. We need to know. We need to know. So true. Oh my God. I'm glad that got mentioned because that was like, I know the episode was winding down and my brain was kind of winding down and that was just like, uh, what? Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for commenting on it. Are
2: they, it's flowers? Okay. Interesting.
1: I would have loved for that to come up at judges table just as I can nail in the coffin. And you know what? Like blue team, like where was the flower? Like,
2: (laughs) as you know, it's classic to give people flowers with their check. Here in two thousand. Customary.
1: Yeah. Of course. Oh, okay, my bits God. you're gonna close us what out. What is my close out. I honestly don't even have one. Um <laughs> trying to think on the fly of like what I've commu- what I've communicated via note to myself. Okay. Just wanna double down on the whole expecting these chefs to come up with a aesthetic for their restaurant. In Restaurant Wars. And it didn't happen this episode, and I love that it didn't happen. But in past seasons, where they're like sending judges to like TJ Maxx, or like they have to go and like rent furniture and get strange, weird, fake flowers to put around and match their aesthetic with whatever their terrible name for their restaurant idea is. I hate that. And I hate that it even goes, is even part of the conversation at Judge's Table. Where do we all collectively agree that that mattered in a cooking show? That's so, okay, real. It's well. so
0: real. It's so real.
1: God. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's also like... And one season they had to design a logo. It's like none of oh, these people yes. are designers. Oh my God. How dare you waste their energy and such an important challenge and they, like, on that. they
1: like brought in a like a graphic designer to like pair with. I'm like, we don't need all this hoopla. No, we, we do don't not need it. These chefs Ugh. like oh, looking oh at a wall of napkins, like choosing
2: what color napkin, like <laughs> could not be less important.
0: <sighs> Ugh, no God. one wants to see it. Okay, so this really brings us to the end of our episode, but we have one final thing that we want to ask you, Kendra, which is a question that we are going to ask all of our guests, which is, um, what is a dish that represents you on a plate?
2: Let's see. This is a great question, Um, and you did tell me it in advance, and I did forget to think about it in advance. (laughs) Um, It'll come straight from the heart. It will come straight from the heart. I will say um a dish that represents me on a plate is probably uh like a chicken cutlet with a salad. I think like if you've ever mm. had like a chicken milanese that has like a fun sort of salad on this on the top, I think that is a perfect meal. And it represents me because my mother made chicken milanese all the time growing up and she called it pounded chicken because you have to bang the chicken to be like really flat. And so my sister and I are always like pounded chicken for dinner, which is like not a thing that anyone calls it but us. And in my professional life, I have developed so many cutlet recipes, whether it's like a play on pork katsu or a fish cutlet or like Mm. trying to do vegetarian cutlets. We did a cheese cutlet or we tried to at work and it didn't work out. Um, (laughs) I've done many chicken cutlets of various styles. Um, But I think it's like such a delicious thing. I love developing recipes that are like home cook friendly on a weeknight. And this is something that is, but it still feels a little bit special. And then you can Mm. heap on a big pile of whatever else you have in your fridge as a salad. So I think to me, a cutlet (sighs) is the dream.
0: Amen. I love that. Amen. I love a chicken cutlet. It's so good. Bits lived with me for two years. She knows I would say 80% of my diet is chicken cutlet. so funny. That's true.
1: The rest <laughs> is chili. Um, oh my God. I do love that though. That, thank you so much. That was just, it's, so it's just fun to hear. We yeah. should
0: do a series where we cook everyone's dish on the plate. Oh my God. Delightful. <gasps> fun. Okay. Well, okay. We truly are at the end of our episode now. So all we have to say is Kendra, thank you so much for your time. And your enthusiasm and your expertise. This was so much fun. So we much hope to have fun. you back
1: every season oh for goodness. restaurant wars, as you are now our subject matter expert. I love it. SME. I'm here. No, this truly was actually informative. I've personally learned quite a bit. Um, I think I'll never watch restaurant wars the same, frankly. Or any top chef, really. Or any top chef, yeah. A lot of stuff. So thank you so, so, so much uh to our listeners. Say thank
0: you to Kendra. Thank you.
2: Thank um, you, and- listeners and <laughs> and
0: chef. Woo! <laughs> and chefs. yeah, I love that our name shows up everywhere. Right. Chef,
1: isn't that the biggest
0: yeah uh, But anyway, thank you, and we will see you all next week on Compliments to the Chef. Goodbye. Bye.